Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. All right, good morning, guys. Welcome to Believer's Church. If you're visiting, we are so excited that you're with us today. Um, most of you know through TV, through being at church here, that I was raised uh, as a Catholic and um, we, we had just some incredible experiences growing up in church and um, my mom and dad were religious about getting us to Sunday service. They were religious about it. I only remember missing a couple times. We all had the measles once and we missed and we all had the mumps and we missed. And then if one of us was really sick, one of my parents would stay home and the other would take all of us to church. So it was a really big deal. But back then, and I think even today in, in most Catholic and some uh, traditional Protestant churches, there was no ministry for kids. So we all had to sit in the sanctuary uh, for the service. And uh, we were in there from one year on. They had a cry room and mom took us in there when we were an infant. But at one all the way through, they would bring us in. There were seven boys, no girls in our family. And my dad and mom liked to sit in the front row. That, that made it real tough. And we went to St. James Church uh, over near JFK. We also went to school there. The second row uh, was where all the nuns that were our teachers sat. And, and so it was a lot of pressure uh, going to church and, and going through a service. And it gets really quiet different times during a Mass. And so uh, mom and dad did not want us. We were not allowed to make a peep. We were not allowed to squirm. So they had ways of disciplining us. And uh, so uh, mom would sit here and she'd have two kids to her right. And then dad would sit here and they'd have three between them. And then over here, dad would have two. And all of us were within striking distance uh, of my parents. And, and uh, you know how it is. Think about a one-year-old. We, mom and dad pushed them out every two years. So one-year-old, three-year-old, five-year-old, seven-year-old, uh, nine-year-old, just all sitting there and all boys. And, you know, you came on my side, you crossed the line. So we would punch each other in the thigh and uh, just, you know, do whatever we could as subtly as we could. And if we misbehave, uh, mom, my mom was what you would call covert. She would just get her two fingers with her nails and she'd squeeze a part of your thigh and it, you'd want to scream at the top of your lungs. And then she'd give you a look like that. And you just knew, stop. Now, dad, my dad, my dad was what you would call uh, uh, overt. He was just outward. And he used to slap us with the back of his hand right in the face. And uh, so think about it, everyone's watching, the nuns are watching, and dad would just go like that, and, uh, and, and, and then he'd give you a look. And uh, I'm not kidding when I say this, whenever dad would slap us, because the nuns didn't know what my, my mom was doing, but whenever dad would slap us, one of the nuns would bend over and say, Jimmy, I love the way you discipline your kids. And uh, I'm like, please don't encourage my father. And, and uh, so religious, they made sure we were always in church. Church went like that. Uh, I mean, and if you sat between mom and dad, sometimes mom got you and dad got you at the same time. And that, that was pretty painful. But then the fiasco of getting to church, like hurry up and get ready. And we would get, you know, spanked just because we're not getting ready on time. Then the fiasco in the car. We had this big station wagon, so we always wanted to be in the back, but only two could fit back there because Dad's hand could reach almost anywhere in the car while we were driving. So my idea of church was not pleasurable, 
But my idea of church was also, you just got to get there. And that's a good discipline, and that's important. But that's all I thought church was. And so once we walked out on the sidewalk, we were finished with church. Church was done. And then our job was to get back there the next week. And the cycle went on and on and on. So that was my understanding of church. And today, um, I'm going to do my best to help you understand uh, what God's created church to be. I also want to help you do something. This is really important. Every one of us, if we're not doing what God's created us to do, we're going to have this gnawing feeling or empty feeling inside of us. We're not going to be content until we do what God's created us to do. And we'll never, ever be content. And I'm going to show you what you can do to fill that void. Even if you know Jesus, you will not be content till you begin to do what God's created you uh, to do. So if you're visiting today, I want to welcome you to everybody. This is our, our series that's going on right now. Next week, it's going to be a doozy. I'll finish it up. But uh, uh, today, we just want to talk about uh, this incredible truth. Here's our truth today. You are a minister. Everybody in this room is a minister. Now, you might be saying, no, Pastor Joe, you're the minister. Well, I'm a platform guy. And platform guys, we're going to find out, have, we have a purpose. But everybody that's a Christian was created by God to be a minister. Now, you may not do what I do. You may not speak. But you are a minister. And, you know, churches have two different types of models. And many Protestant churches and many Catholic churches, most Catholic churches, they're going to have this, this model, which, which I call pastor-worker church model. And in the pastor-worker church model, the idea is the pastor does all the work. And our only obligation is to get ourselves to church. And, and if, if you're in that model, you'll never be completely satisfied. You'll, you'll never have your, your, your itch scratched that's inside you, your destiny itch. You'll never feel like I, I'm where I belong because God's created you to be a minister. Now here's the biblical church uh, model. The biblical church model is what I call pastor-equipper model. And in this model, the pastor is a coach. So all of us are familiar with coaches. If you're on a debate team, you have a coach. And, uh, and so you know what a coach is. If, if, if you're in the band, you have a coach. That would be your band director. Um, if you play sports, uh, you're familiar with a co coach, whatever kind of sports you play. And what is it that a coach does? Do they get in there and perform with you? No, they don't debate and they don't play an instrument in the band and they don't jump out onto the field or the courts or whatever to, to be involved. What do they do? They prepare you to play in the game. And that's what God has called me to do and others like me. We're coaches. We're equipping people. But you're the ones that God's going to use to get it all done. And when you understand that and you understand you literally have a destiny that God created you for, man, that's when you begin to walk in this contentment and fulfillment like you've never experienced before. And this model is very biblical. So I want to open up with a scripture, a section of scripture. It's Ephesians 4.11. And here, here's how it reads. Ephesians 4.11 reads this way. It was Jesus who gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Now we call these guys the five-fold ministry guys. These are platform guys. And they're very important. Jesus put gifts in people to be one of these kind of people. 
But the question is, why did He put those gifts in us? What, what is our purpose? In the very next verse, it's pretty incredible. It spells it out real clear. Listen to verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry that is to build up the body of Christ. So we are equippers or coaches and you are the saints. Now, the word for saint here, the Greek word just means holy ones. And if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you have been called out. You are holy, blameless, and without fault in God's sight. So you are a saint. And I know uh, even myself, we don't always act like what we think a saint should act like, right? But if you've accepted Christ, you're a saint. So listen to this. My job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. I like the way the New Living Translation says it. Their responsibility, the five-fold guy, the platform guys, is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So today, as you sit through here in this service, I'll definitely I'll make you feel better than you did when you came in. Uh, so there'll be a building up and edifying. But this is also talking about all the gifts and all the people that are in here doing what God's created them to do. And that literally builds up the church. And when the church is built up, this text is really cool because the idea of this text is God growing the church and referring to local churches and then the local church becoming so incredibly mature that we have babies. We bring people into the kingdom and then we grow people up spiritually. And that's the heart of God. Man, He wants us to reach this world, bring people in, and then grow people up and make them mature Christians. So I, I love the way this text ends. Listen to verse 16. It says, for Jesus, for, from Jesus, the whole body, or this is referring to local church at this time, joined and helped together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the only way for a church to get to where God wants it to be is every part needs to become active. So what's my job? To equip, to mobilize, to encourage, to exhort, and I'm going to do that today. And we're going to have a blast as we do. Listen to how 1 Peter 4.12 puts it. Each of you, every Christian, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in His various forms. So we know God's grace saved us, and we're so thankful for it. This is referring to God's grace that is His gifts and abilities. And isn't it amazing? Even with children, I look at my four children, and it's amazing to see how God's gifted each one uniquely. And they're different, and they have different gifts, different abilities. And you know that with the people you love. And it's amazing to see what God's placed inside of people. And the Bible says each of us need to use whatever gift God's given us to minister and help others with. So let me help you understand what this means. There's outside ministry. I call it outside the four walls. And thank God for that kind of ministry. You know, our bikers group, we have a group here that's part of Bikers for Christ. And there were a bunch of them here last night and I was talking to them in the lobby and they went to uh, Trumbull County Prison. They went to the, the, the Max Prison over in Hubbard. Uh, they went to some correctional institutes, uh, institutions uh, for juveniles. And, and yesterday alone, uh, after all of that, they had over 150, you know, really tough guys uh, accept Christ as their Savior. And I, I don't know about you, but can we give it up and just say thank you, God, for that? That's awesome. There's some of you, you're going to do a lot of ministry like that. 
But those guys are also involved inside the four walls. And so I would just want to help you understand what I call the four walls inside the church. And I'll give you a couple examples. For instance, uh, how many of us were blessed today by our worship team? Can we just give it up for them? Say, they, they did an incredible job. Now, do you know everybody up on the worship team is a, was a volunteer today? Uh, uh, all of them work day, have day jobs. Some are students, others, uh, the majority of them had day jobs. And uh, so they're volunteering, they're working their other jobs. And I just want you to think about it. If you're here and God's blessed you with an incredible voice or uh, God's blessed you with a harmony voice or God's blessed you with the ability to play an instrument, man, that's a gift God gave you. It's cool whatever you do with it outside the four walls, that's cool, but why not use it inside the four walls? And I think about uh, just where we're at as a church and we're doing really well and uh, we're humming and we have some incredible volunteers and, and, and this message is just a big thank you to all of them and, and they're smiling saying, yeah, I, I'm content and I know I'm doing what God wants me to do. But I don't often say these things, but you know, we, we need more people really in every area. And I think of the singers. We need more singers. We need more musicians. I'd like to be four deep in every area. So if God's blessed you in that area, why not help? But you know, they're on the platform and sometimes you think they're more spiritual. But, uh, and they are spiritual. But you know what? The people working tech are every bit as spiritual as, as they are. And we need tech people with the lights, with, with the sound, with the video. We need people in every department. So if you're techie and you have those gifts, I'm not what you would call a techie person. I just given up, actually. And I just give my daughter Deanna my phone and things. And I just say, could you make it work? I, I, I tried long enough. Just fix it for me. And uh, some people are techie. Some people are not techie. And uh, then I think of uh, all the folks out in the lobbies and the smiling faces. And you see their shirts when you walk in. And Do you know, if we want to win people to Christ, do you know it's really important when someone walks into this, into this church that they see somebody that's like them? So it's important to have every demographic and every age group out there smiling and, and welcoming people. Then we have the people that teach our kids and connect group leaders. And we have folks coming in during the week and cleaning and helping in areas of, uh, you know, to build things. And we just have people helping in every area you can imagine. But we still need tons more. And the more I have, listen to this, the more we have as a church, the easier I, we can be, we don't have to kill people. You know, we don't have to overwork anybody. Because some people love to serve so much, you can kill them, and we don't want to do that. Um, and so that's what the Bible's talking about that God has gifted all of us. And sometimes we think that all, the only thing spiritual here is maybe me and, and, and the, uh, the worship team because they're on the platform. And again, everybody's spiritual, guys, because none of this happens without all of us doing. What, what we do. Uh, you know, we're going to do our first service in Borman tonight. Do you know our, our, our guys are already over there? Tech guys are already over there. It starts at 6 p.m. They're already over there setting up Boardman Elementary School, the auditorium, for, for our service. And I, I just can't go there and, 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 and share vision. I'm going to cast vision. We're going to have a normal service like we do here. But I can't do anything without everybody else. And so when we arrive in heaven, here's how it's going to be. Jesus is going to reward us uh, for how we live for him and everything I'm rewarded for everybody that helps here is going to be rewarded exactly the same and I think that's pretty pretty cool because it takes all of us to do it so let me talk about this destiny thing that's inside of us let's talk about 
how inside of us we'll never be content till we begin to do what God's made us to do. And in your eyes or someone else's eyes, it may not be spectacular, but it is. Someone greeting out there, that's spectacular. That's really spiritual because they're opening hearts and they're, they're doing what God needs to be done and they're all representing Christ. But I want to give you two examples. Two famous people. The first person I would say arguably is the fam most famous person in my lifetime. Nobody's more famous. And he became famous before social media, before cable TV. I mean, he, he, was every, he could go any country in the world and they, they would know who he was. And his name was Elvis. How many of you know who Elvis is, right? Yeah. You don't have to say his last name, Presley. Now, some of the younger people here, you may not realize how famous he was, but I, I want to just help you understand this um, just to show you how famous he was. And I want to say this about him before I do. Elvis... Uh, grew up in a church like this. He knew Jesus. He was water baptized. And he used to play tambourine in his church. And, and his mom brought him to church. And, and he loved church. But then he got old and he became famous, you know. And when he became famous, uh, he just walked away from all of it. And, and I want to show you what was going on in his life. It's very important for us to understand. So let me just give you an overview of Elvis. It, it, it's not a whole lot, but it just explains who he is. He, he, he um, performed 74 albums, produced, and he had 102 single, singles. Billions of dollars, in today's dollars, it would be tens of billions that, that he sold. This is amazing. He had 31 number one hits over a 21-year period. It's crazy. A, a, a top hit means it was the, the number one song of the year. He had 31 of them over 21 years. So every year there was an Elvis song that was number one. Think about that. And, and then he starred in 31 movies. And uh, I remember as a, a junior high kid, his movies were on Saturdays and Sundays, and I loved his movies because he always did three or four songs in a movie, and I just absolutely loved it. And, and I was kind of a decade behind being a fan, but I was a huge fan. I used to put the cassette tapes in, in my room and blast them, and then I'd pretend I was Elvis, you know, and, and, and I'm nothing but a hound dog, you know, and try to do my legs like that and all, all that stuff, you know. He was awesome. He was awesome. Do you know that today there are 30,000 Elvis impersonators and it's growing every year. If Jesus tarries and doesn't come for 10 years, every one of us in this room will be an Elvis impersonator, right? So listen to this. Elvis is, is famous. No one was ever any more famous than Elvis. And do you know he wasn't content? He had something gnawing at him and it gnawed and it gnawed at him was not content. Listen to this. His wife, his wife wrote this in an interview. And so this is coming right out of Priscilla's mouth. This is after Elvis died. And it says this, Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose in life was. He thought he was here for a different reason. Maybe to preach. Maybe to serve. Maybe to save and care for people. That agonizing desire was always with him and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it so he'd go on stage so he wouldn't have to think about it. And then, listen to this, he'd say to me, I know I'm here for something else. Now think about it. As rich as you can be, as famous as you can be, and he's not content. Why? Well, he was a Christian who God created to do something in his church and Elvis never got around to it. And, and he had that void. So for all the young people here, 
If you're here and you say, man, I want to be famous, maybe a famous singer, maybe famous sports person, or uh, famous in some other way, um, listen, uh, two things. I want to give you two words of advice. You ready? The first word, if you should become famous, remember Gene and I get us front row seats, okay? That's number one. Number two, no matter how successful you are, no matter how famous you are, you'll never be content till you walk in what God's created you to do and what God's created you to be. Now here's another guy, very famous, not a rock star, but most of us from history should know who this is. This is John D. Rockefeller, Standard Oil Company. He became so big and so rich, the government broke his company up. Uh, his net worth was $292 billion in today's dollars. Now translated, that means he could buy and sell Bill Gates four times and have billions left over. Richest man that ever walked on the earth. You could say King Solomon was richer, but he was a king. Most of his money was from a kingdom, but this guy's just a business guy, richest man that ever lived. And uh, you know what? You'll never find anybody writing about John saying he wasn't content. Uh, he had this gnawing ache that he wasn't doing what he was created to do. Because listen to this. He attended prayer meetings twice a week, and he led a Bible study in his church. Can you imagine that? The richest man ever in history. And he's teaching a Bible study, not being paid for it as a volunteer, going to prayer services. And he did that right in Cleveland. The church he, I, I wanted to tour the church he uh, went to, but it's been tore down. But you know the BP building in downtown Cleveland? That was his corporate headquarters at one time. And so he was right here in northeast Ohio. And this guy was content because he used what he had and what God created him to do for God. So let me show you a destiny verse. This verse is so encouraging. And again, it, the world may not think what we do is spectacular, but if it's what God created us to do, it's going to fill the void in our life. Listen to Jeremiah 1.5. It says, I knew you before you were formed within your mother's womb. Before you were born, I sanctified you and appointed you. Um, as a spokesman to the world. So Jeremiah was a prophet, and probably none of us in this room are prophets, but it doesn't matter. God's appointed every one of us to do something. So I just want you to see uh, what God's saying about your destiny. He says, I knew you before you were formed within your mother's womb. So let me translate that for you. Mom and dad did not make the real you, your spirit. God made your spirit, and God placed your spirit inside your body when it was conceived. You were made by God. And God put gifts and abilities and talents inside each and every one of us. And I love what it says. Before you were born, I sanctified you. You know the word sanctified just simply means set you apart. God set you apart to do something in His church. So I think of our musicians. God set them apart to do this for God. I think of all the people greeting out there. God set them apart to do that for God. And, and, and I love this word. He says, and I appointed you. So he was appointed as a prophet. You and I are appointed to do different things. But, but the word appointed is the Hebrew word nathan. And I don't always do this, but I thought the three little definitions they gave of this Hebrew word were very powerful. The first one is this, to assign. So do you know God assigned you to specifically do something for him? 
That's pretty cool. He gave you an assignment. That's why it gnaws at you, because God gave you an assignment. Uh, it also means to impose upon anyone. And I like that. To oppose. That means God made it part of your fiber, part of your DNA, that you will never be happy till you do what God's created you to do for God. And then it can also mean this to create ass. And I like that. You are literally created to do something in the kingdom of God. You are a minister. And it's going to come out of hundred different ways but that's powerful when you stop and you think about it now psalm 139 you can read this later today but psalm 139 do you know what it says before you were born god wrote in a book so he has a book with your name in it maybe i it could be just a book that's all yours or it could be a book with many names but under your name he wrote what he created you to do and what what your purpose was and the bible says over in psalm 139 he did it before you took your first breath so here's my goal. God, whatever you wrote in a book about me, I, I want to do it. <laughs> when I stand before God on Judgment Day, I want Him to look at the book, look at what I did, say, Joe, bullseye, good job, buddy. Good job, man. Got some rewards for you. That's, that's all I want to hear, right? And I want to hear that for you too. Um, and so that's been my lifelong goal. And I, I want to close out with this thought, discovering the content of your book. And I'm just going to give you three simple things you can do to discover don't you want to know what he wrote in there that he created you to do? I want to know. And, uh, and I believe I'm doing what he wants me to do right now, but I, I've, I've done these three things to get myself there. And the first one's real simple. It just simply begin to help anywhere. Some of us want God just to give us a dream in the middle of the night and say, this is what I created you to do. And, and, and you just need to just start. Just volunteer somewhere. Uh, you know, our country has... And I love studying and learning about these things. We have the most sophisticated guided missiles of any other country. They can hit any target anywhere in the world with satellite help, with pinpoint accuracy. It's amazing what they can do. But do you know that if that missile stays uh, on the ground and not launched, that the guidance system can't take it anywhere? It has to be launched before it can be taken. And that's what God does with us. If we just say, God, I'll start when you show me, He'll never show you. Uh, you just say, God, I'm going to start. And just pick something you like and then let God begin to use His guidance system to get you where you need to go. I, I found this next one to be hel helpful. Um, I, I think all of us should uh, take a gifts test and just find out you know, what does that gifts test say about me? And uh, I, I love those kinds of tests. And uh, there's a place you can take one today. It's free. You can take it tomorrow. It's called giftstest.com. Gifts, plural, test.com. You can take a test and it's going to send you your top five gifts. Um, there's 21 gifts that it has and it will send you your top five. So I, I, I took it, and I thought I'd show you how it works. I took it just, just a couple weeks ago just because I knew I was going to tell you about it. And, and here's, here's my top five gifts. Uh, number one is teaching. Number two is leadership. Number three is administration. Number four is apostleship or starting churches. And number five is giving. And those are my gifts. And, and so I know I'm right where I need to be because pastors need those top three gifts in order to pastor. The, the starting churches, the apostleship, if that was number one, I would not be your pastor. I would have started this church and went to another one and started another one, went and started another. I would never stay in one place. But uh, God has it down there to where I stay in one place, but I can launch campuses. And that's, that's what we're doing together 
as a church. So they hit me right on. I thought, wow, that, that hit me right on. Now for some of you, if you take it and teaching's your first gift, uh, let, let me encourage you, whatever your first gift might be, but let's say teaching for an example, you'll never start out on a platform. It's just, it's not God's way. You have to, you know, you have to prove yourself and God has to grow you. So just, you know, you might teach children, you might teach in a connect group, and, and then you just let God open a door. Here's what I learned about God. And here's why I walk in peace. The Bible says God opens a door for you to do what you're supposed to do and no man can close it. God closes a door and nobody can open it. So that brings me, no person on this planet can stop me from doing what God's called me to do. No person on this planet can stop you from doing what God's called you to do. So I remember when I used to sit in seats and I would get mad at my pastor if they picked somebody else and they didn't pick me. It's like, I think I could have done a better job. I can't believe you picked them. Why didn't you pick me? And I'd get upset about all those things. And, and one day I just said, you know what? If God wants me somewhere, I'll be there. And it's amazing how God opens doors when you begin to lay back and just relax. Here's, here's number three. Pray for God to place your spiritual purpose in your heart. This is praying for God to take what's in the book and make it burn as a desire inside of you. And the first part of the Lord's Prayer talks about this. Matthew 6, 9 and 10. Says, Jesus said, pray like this, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the part where you say, God, whatever you wrote in the book, put it in here. There's, there's a big picture, like for the elections coming up, and uh, you know all, that's all we're seeing, right? Commercials and uh, everything about the elections, if you watch the news. Um, the way I pray for the elections is, God, your will be done. Whoever you want in, uh, Lord, I, I just pray that that be done. And then, and then of course, I'm going to go vote. And I'm going to vote for the person I think is, is best. And so uh, at the end of this election, when it's all over, we're either going to have a wall or we're not. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it, it's, just, it, it's not going to change our lives in the sense that God is still going to be in control. Can we all say God will be in control, right? Um, but that's how I pray for big picture. But for little picture, for, for my life, and I pray prayers like, Lord, whatever you want me to do, put it in my heart. Make it burn. I've been praying that for my life. But I pray that for you. Do you know that a couple times a week I pray for everyone in this church and I say, Lord, everyone that calls believers their church, whatever you created them to be and do in your kingdom, Lord, let it burn in their heart. Whatever you created them to do in the secular arena, let it burn in their heart. Lord, your will come to pass in their life. Whatever your will is, put it in their hearts and let them not be able to sleep till they do what you called them to do. And I pray like that for you guys all the time. I used to pray that way over my kids. I'd pray it just prayer. But then when they were little, I'd walk in their room once in a while. And when they were sleeping, I'd put my hand on their head. And I'd say, Lord, whatever you created Joe to do, let it burn in his heart. Lord, whatever you created Dave to do, let it burn in his heart. Let him not be content till he does that. Lord, whatever you created Michelle to do, let it burn in her heart. Lord, whatever you created Deanna to do, let it burn in their heart. Because I, I didn't want them to just do what I wanted them to do. I wanted them to do what God made them to do. So I'll tell you a story. Um, Joe Jr. graduated from college and, and he said, Dad, uh, I just feel I'm supposed to be here and help you. And so I said, Joe, are you 100% sure of that? He said, Dad, I really feel I'm supposed to be here. And I had already heard him preach and I watched him. I said, you know, you have a call in your life to be a pastor. I said, I have friends all over the country that are looking for people to take over their churches. They're ready to retire, whatever. I said, I can get you in a church anywhere. If you go preach, they're going to want you. You do a good job. And, and he'd look at me and say, Dad, I can't go. I, I love 
the Mahoning Valley. I have to be here. God's called me to be here. And so I say, Joe, now are you sure? Because I know of a church that's open in Florida right now and it doesn't snow there in the winter. And uh, are you positive? Because I can get you a church right now. And he said, no, Dad, I know I'm called to be here. So then I say, well, Joe, you know I'm not dying anytime soon. Uh, so you're not going to be the head guy. Dad, I don't want to be the head guy. I'm just called to be here. I mean, he knows and he loves this community. He knows it. Well, that's just because God put what was in the book. I don't know what was in the book, but God's put something in his heart. Now, my son David, he helped us for years, but he, he was never 100% satisfied. And he'd say, Dad, I just don't feel I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I'd say, well, Dave, just keep praying, keep praying. I'll keep praying for you. And he was just fighting what he needed to do because uh, he just was so loyal. He wanted to help us here. And, uh, and I'd say, Dave, just pray. So he came to me, Gene and I. He, he talked to us, I don't know, a year and a half ago, and he, and he just said, I think it's time, you know. And he left in January of this year and he went to California and he's pursuing music in California and uh, God's opened up some cool doors for him and he just feels he has a call he writes music and things like that that he has a call in that industry and he's just out there where he feels he needs to be and you know what I'm so happy for him because I just want him to do what's written in that book that's that's all I want him to do and for every one of my kids and for every one of you that's all I want so I, I just noticed hey if you just start anywhere, take the gifts test. kind of helps you give an idea where you, where you should plug yourself in. And then just pray and say, God, put it in my heart. Then, man, that's when peace and contentment comes. I look at all of our superstars out there, our volunteers everywhere in the building. They have those smiles on their face. And so many of them just say, I've never been happier in my life. I know why. It's what Elvis lacked. They're doing what God created them to do. I wish El if El I wish I was you know Elvis was alive in my generation I could have helped him out right but but he wasn't but let's go ahead and pray let's close our eyes let's bow our heads Lord I thank you for every person in this room man they are all all important to you you love every one of us and Lord take what I've taught today and open up our hearts to how that applies to us thank you for giving us direction out of the Bible and, and Lord, deal with our hearts on what our next steps are. And we thank you that we are ministers. Thank you, Lord God. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Stay in that attitude, guys, of prayer. Maybe you walked in today and you say, Pastor Joe, this is a great message. I understand a lot of things, but I'm just not even sure if I'm going to heaven. Allow me to take a minute to speak to you. And right now, I'm not asking you to join our church or a religion. I'm not asking you if you grew up in church I'm not asking you if you're water baptized as a baby or an adult. I'm not asking you if you don't go to church, if you're another religion. I'm not asking any of those questions. Here's what I'm asking. Can you remember a day when you made it personal and you said, Jesus, I believe you're the Savior. I accept you as my Savior and I make a decision to follow you today. The Bible says Jesus died for our sins and whoever calls on His name, that's what that is, calling on His name. I'll save them. So if you're here and you say, Pastor Joe, I can't remember that time in my life. I did it when I was 19. The lights went on and it's just been incredible. Say, I can't remember that time, but I'm ready now. I'm ready now to give my heart to Jesus. Would you pray with me right now? Everyone else in the room, would you help them pray? Just say this after me. Say, Lord God, I realize I'm a sinner. I repent for all my sins. And this day, I give my heart to Jesus. Jesus, I believe I receive you as my Savior.
And I make a decision today to follow you. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.